When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome back to the SBS Sports Talk Show presented by the Sports Business Society at UVA. I'm Michael Rockless along with my co-host Nick O'Connor and our producer Will Harden. Tonight we're going to talk about some NFL news, The, of course the FBI scandal and investigation into college basketball, and then March Madness is coming. This is being released on March 1st, so you know what that means. We're going to be talking exciting and best bracket pools that you can try out this year. Make sure you listen to this at 1.5 times speed. Hit it. All right, so uh, good to be back, and let's start with some NFL news. We got a little bit of uh, withdrawals from the NFL. So the big news this week was Blake Bortles signing a three-year extension with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Basically, fully guaranteed is $20 million this year, and it's worth up to about $60 million over the next three years. Uh, Kind of an interesting move there. Hard to believe. Uh, that Blake Bortles is going to be the guy for them moving forward. I mean, they've proved it. They put their faith in him. What were your reactions for the Jaguars putting up some some real money to uh, keep Blake Bortles in, in Saxonville? Yeah, very surprised as well, um, just because of the wary play on Blake Bortles' part. He's never really been consistent. Um, he hasn't proven over a long period of time that he can be that franchise quarterback. So it's interesting that the Jaguars organization um, was willing to put that money um, to his face. Yeah, I, I really don't like the move. Um, I, I think that with their current team, Leonard Fournette, um, Coughlin in the front office, uh, Marone's a pretty solid coach, and they have just a very young, skilled defense. Uh, and some good skill players too. Um, they had some young guys play well, like uh, Keelan Cole or D.D. Westbrook. I, th- I think this is a shocking move. I think there's enough quarterback availability this offseason in particular, whether it be a Kirk Cousins, who we're going to talk about in a second, Even a Case, Case Keenum, Keenum, who yeah. the Vikings are going to make, uh, going to let be a free agent. They're not going to tag him. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, through a trade, a Nick Foles, A.J. McCarron's a free agent. I think there was something that they could have done to really – elevate the current team that they have, which is, by all means, outside of the quarterback position, an elite team. Yeah, maybe uh, wide receiver, they're a little Yeah, defensive. but really, I mean, defense, mm-hmm. running game, like, it's there. Special teams, it's there. Yeah. Um, and to give it to Blake Bortles, who, you know, yeah, he won two playoff games. They also won 10-3 to in a home game against the Bills, where he had more rushing yards than passing yards. Played decently well against the Patriots and the Steelers. But to me, it's... It, if he played throughout the entire season, he's the kind of guy where in a really great situation where he has that defense, you know, in a pretty weak division, a couple quarterbacks were injured in there, Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson in the AFC South. They still weren't, you know, a dominating team. They got the three seed, which was which was a great season for them. But to me, if you're the Jaguars, what better time is there than now to look for that quarterback to push you over the top? Yeah, no, they definitely have all the other pieces right besides that quarterback situation uh, to get to that Super Bowl. I mean, they've shown it in the playoffs um, in the regular season this past year. Um, just interesting move. We'll see what they do in the draft. 
um, kind of where they focus there. Um, hopefully, maybe get a wide receiver, tight end option. Um, we'll see. But again, yeah, I would. I, I think there's just better options out there in the free in free agency. Yeah, speaking of better options in free agency, let's talk about Kirk Cousins, who we've hit on before uh, after the trade with the Chiefs and the Redskins made, where the Redskins traded a third rounder and cornerback Kendall Fuller for Alex Smith, who they locked up for a four-year extension. So Kirk Cousins obviously out there on the market, and it looks like uh, a really interesting team is going to be a suitor for Kirk Cousins. We mentioned them a second ago in relation to Case Keenum. The Minnesota Vikings could be a big-time player for Kirk Cousins, which I think would be a very interesting move. Obviously, uh, big suitor is going to be the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. And then you have teams like the Bills, the Jets, and the Browns, who obviously aren't as ready to compete at a high level compared to Broncos, who recently won a Super Bowl. Vikings, who are in the semifinals uh, you know, in 2017. So what are your thoughts on particularly the Vikings making a move into potentially getting Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I think Vikings right going in a different direction than the Jaguars organization. I think they realize that their time is now. Again, they have all the other pieces. They have the defense. They have the wide receivers. Um, you Dalvin know, Cook coming back. Dalvin Cook coming back. You know, that was a huge blow this season. They have all those pieces. Um, and, and they realize that, right? You know, you want to be in, as an organization, you want to be playing for a win now. Um, you don't want to be looking, oh, we're, we'll be good five years. We'll go for a QB then. You have the situation. You have the team right now to win. Um, and I think that they're going to go ahead and, and make a high bid for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I could definitely see it. I mean, it looks like they're circling him. Um, you know, they, they brought in Bradford um, with the trade with the Eagles, Sam Bradford. Um, and he played well when he was there, but they ultimately didn't get to the playoffs last year and he got hurt this year. And then it looks like they found some, you know, f- hidden gold with Case Keenum, but of course his offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, has since left and is now the coach for the New York Giants. So yeah, I mean, if they were to bring in Kirk Cousins, who, you know, of all these guys available, um, you know, assuming they're not going to trade another first round pick to the Eagles for Nick Foles, of all these guys available, Kirk Cousins slides into that team. And man, is that a scary good team with Kirk Cousins. I mean, you would think as well as Case Keenum played last year and they were right on the, the doorstep of a Super Bowl, besides the fact that they lost, you know, 38 to 7 in the NFC Championship game. I mean, realist, really, they were right there. Kirk Cousins puts you right there again next year with, as we said, a really well-built team. And then, of course, the Denver Broncos are going to be in there making a strong play for Kirk Cousins as well. They they have Simeon and Osweiler and Paxton Lynch. Um, all of all, Obviously, at this point, those guys are not going to be getting it done, um, you know, to the level of John Elway's, you know, what he's expecting. So look for them to be another really competitive team that's going to make a, a go at Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I would really like him to go to the Broncos. I think that would make um, the AFC a lot more yeah, competitive. Get him out of the NFC. Get him out of the yeah. NFC. I think especially, that's what you're saying. As a Saints fan, Eagles fan, um, you know, you just don't want more competitive teams. I mean, there's so many dangerous teams in the NFC. Um, at any point in time, Seahawks, um, Falcons could turn around, Panthers, a lot of teams Packers, in the NFC South, Packers, Aaron Rodgers Saints, come back. Saints, Eagles, Cal. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of teams. And, and yeah. it's really what it comes down to is, like, if Kirk Cousins were to go to the Arizona Cardinals, I don't think that's worrisome. That team is just not quite as ready. But for him to go to a team that just made the NFC Championship game with Case Keenum, that becomes really scary and a really, really quality team that has a chance to, you know, of course, get to the Super Bowl next season. So yeah. I did get out of the NFC, go to Denver. If and I think especially if he's going to Denver, I think right the preseason matchup that everyone's going to be looking forward to is that Broncos versus Patriots matchup. Um, obviously Steelers in that mix, of course. But again, I feel like those were going to be the two favorite teams to make the AFC Championship, and I think it would just be a very competitive season. Yeah, I think the Broncos getting Kirk Cousins, it obviously is not at the level of 
of Peyton Manning when mm-hmm. they brought him in from the Indianapolis after he got released there. Um, but I, I do agree. I think a lot of the uh, core talent of that team from their Super Bowl run is intact. You have some wide receivers, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. You still have Von Miller. You still have a very good secondary, even if they release Aqib Tlaib uh, this season. So, I mean, that team would would all of a sudden become a real player in the AFC West and in the AFC as a whole. So that's kind of looking forward to, I guess, free agency starts in about two weeks here. So we'll see if Kirk Cousins gets signed quickly. You want to add one more thing? Yeah, I was going to say, do you think Kirk Cousins is, the, is that QB that you wanted to invest in? Because obviously last season, you know, good season, but not great season. Um, you know, not maybe perhaps that franchise quarterback um, that you're looking for in terms of stats last season. Yeah, I, I don't think Kirk Cousins is a guy that, I want as, you know, I'm not going to expect him to do the kinds of things that I expect Aaron Rodgers to do or Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady to do. I don't think he's carrying uh, a mediocre team to a great record. Saw it with the Redskins um, last couple years. They had some success, but the last two years, I think they were a pretty middling team. Um, but I do want Kirk Cousins to be, if I'm a team that has that set foundation already and I can bring Kirk Cousins in to take me to the next level, I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that he can be that guy. Um, so for the Broncos and Vikings specifically, he is a guy that is capable, in my opinion, of putting an already elite team, or if Jacksonville wanted Kirk Cousins similar, you know, similar signs, to put them in the conversation with these other elite teams in the NFL. I think if he goes to the Jets, the Bills, the Browns, the Cardinals, one of these teams that are more in a rebuilding stage, yes, they have that stability at quarterback, uh, but it, it will definitely take them a, a longer period of time to reach a level that the Vikings and Broncos would be at by adding Kirk Cousins from day one. And those teams would especially be hoping that Kirk Cousins, you know, elevates that guy is that guy that can lead them. And you just don't know that yet. Yeah. I I would tend to think he's, he's not a guy that I'm want to rely on Mm -hmm. if my, the rest of my team isn't great. But again, you know, the Browns have a lot of draft capital. If they were to get Kirk Cousins, you can spend those trade down again, but you could spend those first round picks to really build around him. And you could probably pretty quickly put a team around him. But I think, you know, for Kirk Cousins, he's going to get a ton of money. Very unique situation with the quarterback this good, being an unrestricted free agent, most likely going to be unrestricted, assuming the Redskins don't tag him. Um, You know, I I think there's a great opportunity for him to look at these these really good teams, um, foundations of these teams, and go there and become an immediate playoff and potentially Super Bowl contender. All right, so now we uh, we finished our football talk for the weeks, which is sad, but we'll get back to it uh, when we cover free agency, which is uh, opening up, as I said, in a couple of weeks. So now we're going to talk about, obviously, the big news in college basketball that hit over the weekend, the FBI scandal. They released uh, some documents. A lot of it was relatively nonsense. I mean, saying that players from, you know, obviously Malcolm Brogdon was, was one of the names, or, you know, the Miles Bridges on Michigan State, or Wendell Carter on Duke. You know, if they got $60 allegedly in a meal from an agent, not a big deal. What is a big deal, though, is the investigation as a whole. It doesn't seem like it's over. And, of course, the big news was Arizona with the wiretap on their coach, Sean Miller, who's been an excellent coach uh, for years, back, dating back to when he was at Xavier. Hasn't broken through to the Final Four yet, but, of course, on the wiretap, he was listened to, have, you know, people heard him saying, you know, are we going to get the $100,000 to sign DeAndre Ayton, who is one of the top three recruits in this year's class? Um, and and it doesn't look like that he's ever going to coach college basketball again. I mean, it's a shocking, shocking revelation. I don't know what your takeaways were from 
from that specific Sean Miller incident, that seems to be by far the biggest blow that's come out of this this scandal so far. Yeah, I think LeBron put it really well. He had a he had a quote saying, just, "Wow, Nick is about to praise LeBron." Know, Everyone, it, get your recording devices very out. Rare, very rare, but I think he put it really well in the sense that just the NCAA system is broken. Um, and it's just systematically broken. It has been for some time. I think when you don't have the option um, where you can't go to the NBA, um, I think it just incentivizes players, especially you know if you're coming from a poor background, to you know engage in taking money um, and going through that process. Um, and especially for teams and college teams, right, where they can have this option to um, you know pay players um, or give them you know meals or give them other. Uh, perks to join their team. I just think this it, it goes back to where the system is broken. Um, and I think the way to fix that would just be getting rid of that one year, um, what that one year rule, and just allowing players go right to the NBA if they want to. Yeah, I think so. And it's just, it's just terrible that you know that these play. And it's weird. It's a weird incentive structure where if you're a coach, it pays you more money to cheat and be good and have the success because Sean Miller. Even if he gets fired through the scandal, he's still going to come out making several million dollars. And if you're DeAndre Ayton, it's like you're you're one and done no matter what. Why not get a hundred thousand dollars if you know his family needs it, or if, even if they don't need it? Why not get a hundred thousand dollars? Play odds are they're not going to catch you in the middle of the season, which they have this year. But of course he's still playing, which we can talk about in a second. But um, you know you get a hundred thousand dollars as a college kid, you get some money up front. And then, you know, you go to the NBA and make your millions there. It's just the incentive structure is off. And for players, you know, being forced since the mid-2000s to go to, go to college or at least be one year removed from high school, um, you know, this is, you know, kind of the not, you know, ridiculous result to have happened is all these top-line recruits getting all this money, or at least allegedly it's happening somewhere. Um, so it's just kind of a sad thing to see, and it's weird to see the FBI getting involved. And, you know, this this month that's coming up, March, is, you know, the holy grail of the college basketball world. You know, it's a great month to celebrate how, you know, it, fantastic the sport is, and it's kind of disappointing to see it go down this path um, and with some people who just didn't quite have that integrity um, in the game. Yeah, no, I think where we've seen, right, a lot of these instances of – colleges paying players or incentivizing players to come to their school with other perks. Um, we've seen it in the two sports of basketball and football, um, especially in the last 10, 15 years since that rule was um, implemented. And right, these are the two sports that don't allow players to go straight to professional. Um, and I think that's just the problem. Uh, I think that's where it comes down to. LeBron has some good ideas of expanding the G League to try to incorporate um, and allow these players to be able to make some money right out of high school. Um, but, you know, going back specifically um, to the Arizona situation, um, I think it's sad just that coaches are willing to risk their integrity, um, you know, right, just to make the money. Yeah, and, and he had to have known he was going to get caught. I yeah. mean, it, just by saying those words, wiretapped or not, if he did that act, I mean, career's over. He's he's going to be black. You think he really knew he was going to get caught? I, well, I, I, well, I, I, th I think this has happened. I don't think it's just in the Arizona case. I think this has happened over multiple schools. Um, I think it's happened over multiple years. I think the, there has been instances, maybe not as grand as this, but I think, I'm sure there has been instances across schools that uh, you know yeah. similar to this. Well, let me rephrase. I think ever since the you know FBI investigation, I guess they announced in August, I mean, I think he's had to have known that he it was coming for him, which maybe explains some of Arizona's uh, underperformance this season. But I, the main point is he knows he was drastically cheating and putting his career on the line if he were to ever get caught in the act of doing this, um, which is, you know, 
it's it's sad to see someone who's a very good coach or seems like a very good coach in college basketball to do that. You know, the interesting thing about the one and done is I think it potentially protects a lot of kids um, who might want to go to the NBA out of high school, whether they think they don't want to go to college or they need the money or for whatever reason. The one and done can protect kids who, you know, are probably better off going to school and are going to flame out in the NBA. I think you could probably look back at all these high school draft picks and see how many of them flamed out and where they are today without that structure of college. But at the same time, there are certain players that, you know, DeAndre Ayton, for example, where he should have just, you know, physically, um, the NBA would have had him, even if he wasn't a huge contributor this year. I mean, obviously, he has the raw tools to be a superstar in the league. Like, there are certain players where, and I don't know how they're going to do this, or is there going to be some sort of, you know, committee that rules whether you can go to the NBA or not, or are you just going to make it free range? You know, if you go to the NBA, like, if you want to go, you can go. Um, and if you don't get drafted, maybe you can go to college late. I, I don't know how they're going to solve it, but it's definitely something uh, amid these issues that they're they're going to have to look at and come out with a solution that's better than what what's going on right now. Yeah, no, I think I think we've talked about this before. How you know baseball seems to have a really good system where you know if you're you can go to the MLB, you know if you want to, but if you're not, then you got to be committed to the team and to the school. And I kind of like that because you develop you know team chemistry, you develop. Um, you know, a team where the fans can root for for multiple years. You're not just having, you know, guys coming for one year then leaving. You know, you build up um, this legacy, and I and, and I really like that. Um, you know, f- you know, for me, I just think it comes down to because originally, the, you know, the NCA implemented this one year policy because they wanted students to become student athletes, mm-hmm. um, and that was the whole reasoning. But you know, really, when these kids are, you know, they're not they're not going to school. Yeah. You know well, I mean? it's the, really that the NBA is the one implementing the rule because well, they're the, the one NBA, saying yeah, you yeah, can't. Yeah. yeah, we want you know kids coming into the league that have a little bit more experience. Mm-hmm. And, but I think a big proponent was, oh, they're also be, being student athletes. Yeah. They're going to school, but these kids aren't really going to school. Right. Um, and we know this. When we see basketball players, they're not really in the class. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna. No, I'm not gonna. Implicate UVA. We're not implicating you. I'm not saying go to classes, but let's just say they're not. They're not being full time students. Let's it, say it, that they're any not. student athlete yeah. has. It's a very difficult thing is to be a full time student on the same level as a regular student. It is. That, that's an obvious way. thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So that'll kind of do it for us. Well, we're going to transition into the better side of college basketball, which is the things actually happening on the court. Obviously, the regular season for most conferences and this week. Uh, some of them have ended already, uh, but the Power Five, I think most of their conference tournaments start next week. So let's talk about some of the big conference tournaments here. Uh, what's one thing that you're looking out for uh, in any of these big conferences? Yeah, one conference I'm really looking forward to is the Big Ten. Um, I think they have two really power teams with Michigan State and Purdue. Um, it'll be interesting um, to see. I think, you know, obviously the team who wins will probably get that number one seed. Um, but also you have a ton of solid teams like Ohio State, Michigan, you know, even Penn State um, that could make a run in this tournament um, and increase their seed. So I just think you have a lot of interesting dis- uh, teams here and I'll see kind of how they play out in this tournament. Yeah, I think for the first time uh, ever, UVA fans should be rooting for Michigan State <laughs> in this conference tournament. They're, for some reason, I don't know, the bracketology doesn't seem to have them as a one seed currently. Um, they might be right on the cusp as a two seed. Maybe they've broken through. But if they do win this conference tournament, they'll definitely be in line for a one seed um, because you know that a Xavier uh, or Villanova, who we'll talk about in a second, one of those teams has to lose in their conference tournament. So if you're UVA and you don't want to see Michigan State um, you know, shadowing over you in your region, let's just root for them to win their conference tournament. And like you hit on, you have some bubble teams like a Penn State, Nebraska, who will be playing for their, their two football schools, really. Uh, see them you know, trying to earn a, a bid on the hard court. And, uh, and then you have Michigan, Ohio State, 
State, some of the traditional powers in that conference too, are going to be in the tournament. See how they perform. Yeah, no, I I'm really because I'm not I'm not no so skeptical, but I just Purdue hasn't proven it to me um, that they can be that power team. So I think this tournament, especially if they were able to win this tournament. Um, you know, it would really increase my confidence in them going into this tournament. But right now, going to March Madness, I'm not quite sure if Purdue just has that resume and has that, um, you know, strength of schedule, perhaps, and um, all those quality wins to really elevate them. Um, yeah, what about you? What do you think is uh, some interesting picks or some interesting conferences that you're looking forward to? Yeah, so I'm looking at, uh, not in a homer way, but I'm looking at the ACC tournament, not for the Who's, but for a particular team in the ACC that needs an auto bid to make the tournament. Uh, Bonzi Colson is coming back this week. He'll play in his first game, uh, was it Wednesday? Tomorrow, Wednesday night. Um, and he'll play against UVA on Saturday as well. This is a team that reached, I believe, as high as the top five, maybe even third, uh, early on in the season when he was healthy. They've had a slew of injuries. He'll be back. I think it would be really interesting to see a Notre Dame come in with Bonzi Colson, who is a preseason All-American, I believe, you know, one of the top five or ten players in the country. Um, He comes back. Do they have it in them to make a run and get an auto bid from the ACC? You know, and that would be taking a spot of a bubble team right now because Notre Dame surely isn't in the field. But I think they have the talent to go on a little run here and, you know, beat, you know, if they need to a UNC, a Duke, a UVA, and get all the way through, and this that's their chance to get in. Yeah, I think it's also interesting if, if they don't win the tournament. You know, right, they have Coleman. They have the talent level of this good team. You know what I mean? It would be tragic if they weren't able to make the tournament. Yeah, I'm not a huge uh, Notre Dame. I'm not a big Bonzi uh, Colson fan. They, they slaughtered UVA in the ACC Conference Tournament, so I wouldn't call it a tragedy uh, for me. But again, this is a team that definitely is a top 64, top, you know, however many at-large bids are. They're definitely of that caliber. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously the unfortunate circumstance of the injuries that they had. Uh, But I think that's a really interesting thing to look at. I would think that if they were to make make a run and win the ACC tournament, that they might be the worst regular season Power 5 team, at least in recent memory, to come in and steal an auto bid. I think that'll be something to look out for. uh, Because, like I said, I think they have the talent to do it. Uh, and it would be something really interesting to follow. Uh, and if they make it far, I'm sure a lot of bubble teams will be keeping a close eye on them. Mm-hmm. In terms of ACC, though, as a whole, uh, who is your favorite um, you know, to win this tournament? UVA. UVA. Yeah, I, I, like, I like UVA. They, I mean... Uh, you know, the bracket will shape, will shake out how it shakes out. They obviously have to double by the number one seed. Um, I'd love to see it come down to UVA and Duke. Um, I, I think those are the two best teams by far. I think it would mean a lot for UVA to replicate what they did back in, I believe, 2013 when they beat Duke in the uh, conference championship there. Um, but I, I think UVA, simply for the fact that I think they're going to be the most solid team, at least of winning the early round games when they have to play a Florida State or a Miami, um, I trust UVA to get to the final. Um, and I don't know if I trust Duke or UNC as much to be able to win those earlier games in the tournament. Um, so I, I like UVA. Um, I think It'll be. I wouldn't give them a greater than fifty percent chance, mm-hmm. but I, I like uh, the Who's to come to come through and at least give a positive showing in the ACC tournament. And hopefully, if they're able to sustain a strong week this week, play Thursday night at Louisville and then Saturday at home for uh, against Notre Dame, now retooled Notre Dame, um, to lock up that number one overall seed. Yeah, no, for sure. I have any team they've shown the consistency that they can uh, do it week in, win out, uh, week out. Um, it'll just be interesting to see, you know, how UNC and how these Duke teams. 
um, are able to, uh, you know, play in this tournament. Um, because I, th I think there's a lot of momentum, you know, if you're able to do really well in these conference tournaments, going into March Madness is a big confidence booster. So if UNC were, is able to get to those finals, maybe even win those finals, again, very, very dangerous teams in March Madness. Yeah, you actually bring up an interesting point. I wonder how much of a momentum boost it is to win your conference tournament. That's something to look at, maybe in a SBS post. All right, well, let's get you into the fold here. Which uh, conference tournament are you looking forward to the most? Uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to the Big East tournament. Um, currently, Xavier is uh, in the position to get the number one seed in that conference tournament with Villanova right behind them. Um, so I think if either one of those teams ends up winning their tournament up in Madison Square Garden, um, they I would like to think that they would probably get a one seed heading in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think especially if the matchup in the championship is Xavier and Villanova, uh, I think that'd be a great game. I just remember back in the day, some Kemba Walker magic in MSG. So I think we get a little bit more of that out of these two teams. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one too. Two very quality teams. Uh, both of them will probably get uh, top two seeds. Um, one of them, like you said, the winner will probably get a one seed. So I think that is something really to look out for. Um, you know, pretty interesting conference there. You have Creighton, Seton Hall, Butler. Those are all tournament teams. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can get some really good games out of the Big East tournament with obviously Xavier Villanova outside of a, a Duke, UVA, maybe Michigan State, Purdue. That could be the marquee matchup of conference championship weekend. Yeah, a lot of those teams I think are very dangerous also because they usually have, you know, those older players, more experienced um, older people. So I, I, I think especially when it comes tournament time, um, those teams are especially dangerous. Yeah. All right, cool. So now we are going to move forward into, we're not going to call it a hypothetical question today, but we're going we're gonna to try and help everyone out. Uh, I think the way that everyone does their bracket pools is obviously for the casual fan. It makes the most sense. You go through ESPN or whatever website and you click you know, who do I think is going to win this game? And you go through and there's a point system where, you know, every round a one game winning, getting the game correct is worth double points. That's not the best way to do it. <laughs> I, if you get the champion right, if you're in a big pool, you got to get the champion right because someone is and you have to get a bunch of the middling stuff right. There are way more fun ways to do this. Uh, so we're going to look at a couple of them. Will is going to introduce the, the topics to us. We'll talk about the pros and cons uh, and what we think would be the most fun. So hopefully if you're listening to this, you're going to get persuaded to not do your traditional bracket pool and instead run a bracket pool that's uh, a little bit more exciting and engaging and a little bit more, uh, takes a little bit more skill. Yeah. Something uh, different. Something, Something different. different you're, you know, and you can still, no one's preventing you from filling out a bracket and throwing it out there in a different pool. But but I think these would be the most engaging, fun ways to follow March Madness this season. All right, well, so you're going to hit us with a couple of these, and we'll, we'll tease them out. So the first uh, method is the auction method, and this is a popular method um, for picking NFL games, but it translates well to March Madness. So basically, each participant would get a set amount of hypothetical money, and then with this money, you would go through each team in the bracket, starting with one seeds all the way through 16 seeds, um, and you would uh, everybody would have a chance to bid on the team, and the highest bidder would ultimately get that pick. Yeah, and so you would get that pick, and the scoring system would be, would be what? Like, how would you do the scoring system? Um, I mean, there are probably a couple different ways you could do it. It'd probably just be easiest to do the traditional method where you get one point for the first round, two points, second round, just all the way through. Okay. I know one of the things we discussed with the auction method was dividing every single game into a money back. So there's mm -hmm. 63 games in the tournament, um, and you would say 
getting a win in the round of 32 is worth 1% of the the total money in the pool. And every game you're getting, someone's winning money based on who they have. So what are your initial thoughts on running an auction um, and everyone, you know, bidding their money to get their teams that they want? Yeah, I really like this. Um, It's something I actually haven't heard before. Um, So I think this would be just a very interesting way to go about it. Um, I think a lot of the pros are just the different approaches you can take to going about the auction, right? So if you want to go really heavy on the one, two, maybe only get two or three teams, um, right? You're banking on them to win, but let's say they get upset, you're kind of screwed. Or you could go the strategy of, I'm going to get a bunch of middling teams, four five and six teeds to get the, you know, the wins in the beginning. And you know, hopefully that can carry you. Um, so just, I think it's interesting to see the different draft strategies and different auction strategies that you can go about this. Yeah, I think that I agree. I think that's the most exciting part about this is you can probably break it down into, you know, what are the most valuable strategies? Um, do I want to front load it? And, you know, say if I get the champion, right, that's worth, you know, 25% of the pool. Am I really just going to go all in on, you know, a team that I think is going to do that? Or do I want to really diversify myself, get a bunch of the middling or lower seated teams and try and win my money early and hope for upsets? And that's like a low risk type of strategy. And I think it really comes into play like anytime there's an auction, you know, the big unknown is I'm, you know, if I'm in an auction, I'm competing against seven other people. So your personal value of a team relative to the scoring system becomes the deciding factor in who ultimately succeeds. And that's where it becomes a great combination of skill and and just basically trying to value a team to a way that makes sense in this kind of format. Yeah, I think definitely just the pre-draft picking would be the obviously such an exciting part, right? You're competing against your friends, you're bidding as much money, doing different strategies. You would um, fall in love with the teams you pick in the Exactly, you right? You're in this, love with you'd them. You'd be rooting for these teams nonstop. I just think it would create a lot more excitement. I kind of like the payout system where you get a percentage. Every single time you get a win, you get a percentage of those winnings, whatever that percent is. Um, I think that's kind of cool just because you're kind of guaranteed. You never might guarantee some money, but but um, you're kind of hedging your bet a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that as well. I think that makes the most sense. So let's talk about what would be the ideal um, structure in terms of people. I I think we talked about this. I think we would probably want a maximum or probably a perfect number for this would be eight people. Mm -hmm. That means on average, it may not shake out this way depending on people's preferences and bidding, but on average you would have, everyone would have a one or a two seed. I think if you had somewhere like 16 people and in theory the 16th team is getting the worst four seed, I think that's just a lot less fun. Uh, I think you want everyone to have... um, Team, a team or teams that are capable of at least making it to the final four. So you're engaged as you go on, which I think is really a problem with the current format is that if your champion gets eliminated in round two, you have no chance of winning and why do you even care? So I think if you have everyone has multiple teams they care about, um, you know, if you were to say there's eight, there's eight uh, people in this league, probably five or six people will be represented with elite eight teams. And all along the way, everyone's winning some money. I think that makes it the most exciting. Yeah, I definitely think that the less people, the better for this. I think you're just, right, you don't want, you know, if there's 16 people, you don't want all your teams getting eliminated in the second round by chance. And then it's just yeah. not fun. Right. Um, so I, I, I think that's a cool way to do it. I also think, though, right, you know, not everyone might not have the same amount of teams. Um, you know, if one person wants to go, again, heavy on the first one, two seat or something like that. Um, there's just a lot of different strategies to go about it. Yeah, yeah, I agree, too, uh, with that. So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention with this before we move on into our next one is I think there is a a universe, a group out there where you could set a no limit on the auction and the money that you bid is the money in the pool. So that way it becomes people's per- 
personal like risk preferences. It's not like a $20 buy-in to get 100 points in the auction. It's like you're putting up real money for these teams, and you can do the same scoring system. Um, so you could have some people weighted very heavily with much more risk, um, and people weighted much you know, smaller with much less risk and play it out that way. I think that would be another wrinkle to it. I would think for most, the the simpler way to do it would be everyone has the same number of points. You can have more teams or less teams, but ultimately the spending will be the same and no one has uh, an inherent advantage in how much money they've spent. Yeah, I think that different strategy definitely reflects, you know, people's different betting strategies. You know, right, if someone's conservative, they're not going to put up that much risk. So just be a little different. Obviously, you could have someone, though, that wants to spend a ton of money, get those, you know, one, two seeds. Um, but again, is, you know, having this huge risk. Right. Okay, let's move on into the next one, Will. Yeah, the next um, the next one is the round time seed method. And so I think the easiest way to explain this is just through an example. So we'll say we want to pick an eight seed in the first round. First round is usually worth one point, so you get eight points. You pick the eight if seed again if they win. Um, you pick the eight seed again in the second round. Second round is usually worth two points. Then you get 16 points if they won. And then if the third round, you continue to pick the eight seed. Um, four points is typically the worth um, of the third round. So therefore, the, if the eight seed wins, you get 32 points. Yeah, so I think the bottom line for this, that's a good job explaining it, Will. Um, the bottom line for this one is is picking lower-seeded teams and getting those correct is worth a lot more than going chalk and getting those correct. So if you were to pick, you know, the underdog, as Will said, you know, a 12 seed over a five, you get 12 for the 12 seed winning the game, but you still get five points for the the five seed winning the game. So there's a big difference there. Um, So it incentivizes those lower picks, but it does enforce a little bit of strategy early on and later on in the tournament. So what are your your uh, your thoughts on this method? Yeah, definitely, because right, if you're going to pick those underdog teams, you know, they might win that first round game, but they're probably not likely to win that second, third, or fourth round games, and then you're just losing all, uh, you know, a bunch of points in the in those later rounds. Um, so it'd be interesting, you'd have to do the calculation in the sense, you know, would it be worth, um, you know, picking a one seed and just picking chalk the rest of the time? Um, I would think that, you know, in this strategy would, you know, enforce, or not enforce, but incentivize people to pick underdogs. Yeah. So, right, you would get just a bunch of wild choices choices, which I kind of like. So you just get a bunch of brackets, right, with, you know, 12 and 13 seeds, perhaps making the third or fourth round or something like that. Um, so I think that'd be cool because you definitely see a, a big variance in the brackets. Yeah, I think the strategy with this one would be you'd want to pick the, uh, the you would want to pick against the higher seeded teams that you don't think have a chance to go very far. So if there's a three seed that you're like, this team isn't getting to the elite eight, pick against them in the first round, pick against them in the second round. Um, if you have to, and then that way you can get pick up a lot of those points and not risk the danger of losing out if they were to win it all. Whereas if you were to pick an eight seed, in Will's example, you know by the second round you're picking against the number one seed. If that number one seed were to go on and win the tournament, and someone else has that, you know they're scooping up all those points that you've just left on the table because you wanted to, you know, get the multiplier points. So. So I think that that would be the the strategy I'd go about is picking the teams against the teams that I think didn't have a chance to go very far and picking the lower seeds there. But still, ultimately, when it gets down to it, you got to pick the teams you think are going to win because that's where, you know, the most points are going to be. Yeah, and then obviously, right, you know, if you have someone who's really confident perhaps in the 6, 7, or 8 seed and picks them to go to the Final Four, that can really pay dividends. Obviously, you know, you're risking losing out on a bunch of points. But again, let's say you have a Kentucky or, you know, perhaps a team that's struggling in the regular season but you think has promise 
and the tournament, you know, that could really pay off. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, well, hit us with the last one we're going to talk about tonight. So the final one is the survivor pool method, and I actually misspoke earlier. This is the one that's common for picking NFL games. The auction is a way to do the fantasy football draft. Um, but so for survivor pool, basically on the first um, round of games, you would pick two teams to win. If both your teams win, you stay alive. If either your team loses, you're out. Um, you do have a chance to buy back in. And then from the second round on, you only pick one team, but you can't pick teams that you've already picked before. Um, so then you have to be strategic with your picks um, and make sure you pick someone who you're confident with then, but that you think could lose further down the line. Yeah, and so the important thing to note with this method is you're picking, so there's, you know, the same round of the tournament is over two different days, so you're picking two teams on Thursday, two teams on Friday, and then one team Saturday, one team Sunday, and then when you pick up the next week, the Sweet 16, you're one team, one team, one team, one team. I've, I've heard people do this one before, um, and like Will said, in this method, you would allow people to buy back in that entire first weekend. Um, I think this one would be extremely exciting um, and obviously very strategic as well. Yeah, just because there's so few games that you're actually caring about. You know, you're not caring about all 64, you know, 64 teams in the, in, in, in the beginning rounds. You're just focusing on two games and then one game going after that. So I just think it would be, again, you'd be really nerve-wracking and exciting, um, you know, every single round to, uh, you know, pick new teams and, and go about it. Um, it would be interesting, right? Because you know you don't want to blow those, you know, right. one two seeds in the first right, round. Right, exactly. You couldn't. Um, yeah. You couldn't. So it, it would just be kind of interesting the strategies to go about this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the big thing here is you have to play to outlast everyone in your pool. And this one, unlike the auction one, um, is very scalable. You could do this with a lot of people, mm-hmm. and your, you know, the objective is to outlast people. So. You know, you're you have to look down the line and say, okay, obviously these one seeds are all going to win in the first round, but I also think the one seeds are the most likely teams to win when it comes to the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. I have to save them for then. So all of a sudden, you know, especially when you're picking two teams the first two days of the tournament, you're knocking out, you know, you're probably some four seeds, maybe a five seed if you really like it, but you're knocking out, you know, some quality teams. And then as you move on into the round of 32 Sweet 16, you're really whittling down the teams you get because the more, if you lose, you lose. But if you get it correct, that only dilutes the amount of teams you have to choose from. So you have to make sure that you're not stuck choosing, you know, call it, uh, you know, an 11 seed over over a two seed in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Like it's almost it's almost more nerve wracking in the beginning rounds because right you have to pick these six seven seeds or five six seeds whatever it is right in the beginning rounds and those aren't certain matchups right and so very risky matchups in the first round so it'd be you know it'd be interesting to see if you want to perhaps go you know with a second or third seed um, thinking that they're going to win those first or second round matchups but could, perhaps couldn't win those later round matchups. Yeah, and but again, you also don't want to pigeon yourself, pigeonhole yourself into saying, oh, I, I've left my, the only option I have is picking this 11 seed who obviously you wouldn't have picked early on, but now they're in the sweet 16 and they're playing the number two seed. And now I have to pick them because I don't have other options because, you know, when you get down to it, to the sweet 16, there's not that many games per day. There's only four games each day. So your, your window of teams gets very, very limited very quickly so you have to make sure you have the teams you need available and I think there's a potential for you if you keep getting them right you could get shut out by the time you get to the final four but I do think it's very very hard to get even to the final four so that might be where the winner comes in but again just a very interesting uh, bracket pool yeah and it's definitely right a little bit different for the auction right I think this the more people the better right Right. you just want a ton of people yeah um, because 
the pool up, the winnings yeah, up. Yeah, winnings up. And then again, right when you get to those latter rounds, you know, you'll have people left. You know, right. You'll have everyone knocked out. Um, so I think it'd be really cool. And I think, you know, Mike and I are probably going to be trying some of these um, different strategies during this year's March Madness. Um, and we'll let you know how those go. Um, you know, if you guys found any of these interesting, you should go ahead and implement them. Yeah. Uh, well, you, which one do you like? If you had to institute one, what would you do? Uh, I would probably just do auction because I think that'd be the most fun. So you'd get a group of eight that you like and you'd mm-hmm. auction it out. I think with a group of eight, auction's really good. If you want to go for the big group, I'd probably lean towards the eliminator pool. You're not picking at all the games like you would be in the round time seed method, um, but still, I think it's it's just a little bit more strategic and a little bit more fun. Uh, so that's kind of where I lean. What 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 are you thinking? Yeah, no, I I think I'm the similar thoughts. You know, auction with you know fewer people, eliminator challenge with the more people. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it for today. If you guys have, uh, any interesting ideas that you guys have done in the past or you have heard, um, send them in. We would love to hear them. Um, and perhaps we'll try them out and let you know how it goes. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks for listening guys. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.